Hey, fuck demons, and welcome to Sex News with Ray. Katie, stop counting your cash. It's tacky. I'm your host, Ray, and today, <laughs> in the next few weeks, we're being joined by Katie, a sex educator from Sacramento. That's me. Hello, friends. Today in Sex News, we're actually going to be doing a little bit of a multimedia thing. First, we're going to actually watch this, this Vice video together. I'm Carly from Sledever, and I'm here to answer more of your sex questions with the endless disclaimer that I am not a professional and should not be giving advice to everyone. This question is from Paul in Minnesota. I have fantasies of being submissive to my girlfriend. Is that bad? Paul, that is not bad. I think that we like focus a lot on the, the ways in which women are oppressed sexually and we don't give enough attention to the fact that like men have it hard too, right? Like we expect men to be competent, and like proficient and knowledgeable about sex and also dominant when it's like, well, where are they supposed to get this information from? Like, why should all men be dominant in bed? I think that it takes a lot of courage to be submissive in bed as a man. This is actually a Vice Canada video called Why Men Should Fantasize About Being Submissive and we'll link to it and people can watch more of it. But, you know, she sort of talks a little bit more about how like women should love the opportunity to be in charge and... Uh, a few other really fun things about like what are the benefits of being submissive in bed for men and why men should consider it. We've discussed that last episode, but then today's article is from BuzzFeed, May 23rd, 2021. That video is from June 2018. So I thought we'd whip out something a bit more recent and it's called the woman who looked lost at a BDSM fair thinks the photo is hilarious. Amruta Godbull is in a photo fully dressed in a sea of tall, muscular leather daddies at Folsom Street Fair. She's biting her lip and looks a little lost. And apparently when she originally posted, she posted this photo and went viral a few years ago when a friend with a lot of followers reposted it again and it just keeps cropping up on the internet around Pride. It turns out she's just short and has a lot of big gay friends. So <laughs> the quote of the article is, people send it to me and say, is this you? What is happening here? So Katie, my question to you now is, have you ever been to a BDSM fair? If you did, which ones? And obviously, what did you wear? I have not. And it makes me very sad because I am very interested. Um, my BDSM and kink experience has been almost entirely like solo slash like with my own partners. Um, I haven't really been able to dig into the kink community anywhere. That's depressing. I've been to a few but there's more I want to go to. I would love you to take me to one. So there's in Canada, we have something called Montreal Fetish Weekend. And it's a week at, it's actually, I think maybe closer to a week. There's like the pre-convention and the post-convention. Mm -hmm. um, but you can't really play on site. So it's a hotel takeover convention. A hotel takeover is when you take over a hotel and you run activities and there's usually clubbing nights and different events and there's the fashion show. So I went both as a guest and also as a designer. Uh, for me, Personally, like we have a lot in Toronto. I live in one of the biggest cities in North America. It's like the fourth largest city in North America in general. Toronto, people don't realize that, like all of North America, including the States. So we have a lot of stuff going on, but a lot of people enjoy it because people come from all over the world to party and meet people and basically fuck in hotel rooms and explore a city. So like during the day, you might do things with, you know, go to the educational workshops or buy stuff, or you might just go be a tourist and eat the poutine, which is really good. Or you know, you're fucking all day. And then at night you go to the parties and it's all about the outfits. And if you don't have latex at Montreal Fetish Weekend, you're doing it wrong. People didn't know that going into it, I've been told. Um, and some people will like meet up with their friends from FetLife or other conventions and feel free to be themselves. There's usually like a burlesque event, but the other one that I went to was with my internship in Germany with Fantastic Rubber. I got to go with them to Fetish Evolution in Essen, Germany. And my God, Katie, we do not know how to party in North America. We do not know. We have laws that keep us from partying properly. Let me tell true. you about their fetish night, their event, their, their thing. I'm so excited. Okay, so I went with people that I knew from the company. And we go to this warehouse. I don't even know where we are. I don't know if this is an event venue. I think it was an event venue, but it's a warehouse. And every room has a different DJ. And you basically get a punch card where they punch your alcohol and then you check out at the end of the night. So you don't need to worry about, about having cash on you at all times. I just punch you for every drink and on your way out, they check you out and you just know that this is a thing. They had one room with a giant fashion show. They had a basement bar room that had... It had a giant crucifix on the wall from when it was an actual steel workers 
like factory that people died and then they had to do their last rites. And they had coffins for tables in that room that you would put your shots on. And they had an Egyptian themed playroom with giant statues and big red velvet furniture. And like, oh my God, it was so cool. So I'm having this great time at around 2 a.m. The German friend I'm with looks at me and goes, this is boring. This isn't that great of a party. Can we go? And I was like, are you high? Is this a joke? And she's like, ugh, like 2 a.m. is when you, you're you getting last called in North America. Yeah. So, I mean, we ended up going back and making friends and going for a 6 a.m. swim as soon as the pool opened up in our latex cat suits, which divine experience. But I just was like, I need to go to more. So I have dreams of basically going around the world and getting to just be a guest at all of the... I want to get famous enough that I can get invited to these different fetish conventions and then I can like really just explore and compare and like see what's really cool because I feel like that was clearly wasted on the Europeans. Uh, please bring me with you. Yeah. I, I will I will fund this experience for us. Well, it seems like you're making more than I am right now. So <laughs> feel free. You come to uh, Toronto, I'll give you a sex tour of Toronto and we'll go from, from there. <laughs> sounds perfect. Can I bring friends? Obviously. Cool. They, they are sex friends. Don't worry. I figured. <laughs> uh, it's one of the things where when you're poly, you're like, oh man, how many? Oh, here's a relationship dynamic question for you, if you're comfortable yeah. answering it before we talk yeah. about more BDSM shit. Um, do you ever can't decide which partner you want to do what with? You're like, oh, this would be no. a really fun experience, but I want to do it with this partner and this partner. No, because, um, well, for multiple reasons. One, all three of my partners are into very, very different things. And all three of them love hanging out together. So like the four of us spend time together. Well, actually, I guess that's kind of a lie. Yes, I do have that sometimes when it comes to travel. Travel is fairly universally loved, uh, at least for the people in my life. But in general, like the type of travel that I'm doing normally makes the decision for me. Like if I'm going to Toronto to go to a, a sex club, I'm going to bring the partner that is into kink and the BDSM community. And like, that is something that they enjoy. Right. You're not going to bring the partner who's uncomfortable in those settings. Yeah. So that's, so like, not really because they're so very different from each other. Yeah. Like you would, you wouldn't want that partner to show up to Oasis and look like Emruta Godbold, just looking very confused <laughs> in a sea and of leather daddies. Yeah. Which exactly. I think is very funny because she wasn't uncomfortable at all. It was just a really bad moment to take the photo. So I thought that was really funny. Entertaining as hell. Um, I have a question for you, actually. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. How, how, besides FetLife, how do you find out about BDSM fairs? Like, do you literally just Google BDSM fair? So I'm, I honestly, I'm a word of mouth person. So I know about like Fetish Factories event in Florida because of the uh, Kink Engineering is another latex company in Toronto. So I know about that because they used to go to that, that one and we talked about it. And I know about a few others from Googling, yes, but also as part of my job with Oasis Aqua Lounge, I work now with a bunch of other international clubs. So I know about the sex clubs all over the world. And frequently, if you know those people, those people in the world talk about their local their local things. But also just being a latex designer in general, when I was in Germany, there was there's always a yearly convention in Amsterdam. There's one in London. So I can't remember the names of them offhand, but you can literally Google BDSM or fetish convention and then the name of a city. And if there's something, it will come up. Cool. Follow-up question. How does one go about ordering latex from you? From me? Oh, well, I'm going to be honest. I don't frequently do orders for people anymore. I mostly actually subcontract to a bunch of other designers because... Yes, you do. Yeah, it's a lot easier and it's a lot more manageable time-wise for me, but I will on special occasions accept clients. Sometimes when someone send me, sends me an email, I can tell they're going to be a lot of work and I quote what I'm willing to get paid to work for them. Yes. So... That is the move, my friend. And honestly, the cost of latex has gone up. So my quoting is getting really high. So typically, if someone wants to order latex, they'll send me an email and say, how much for that piece? Or I'm looking for a custom unique piece. Here's my drawing or here's an idea that I have or I want to build it with you. And then we go from there. And then I have a spreadsheet that automatically calculates based off of the cost of materials and the cost of labor. I estimate my labor I'm fairly fast, but I still estimate a certain amount that I think it will take, the cost of notions, and then I put it in the spreadsheet, and then it spits out what the total is going to be, and that's how I get a quote. I return that quote to someone, and they usually say, wow, that's more than I was expecting. 
Or, (laughs) wow, that's actually way less than I thought it would be for a custom piece, depending on who they are. And then they will say, great, here's my, I'll give them a down payment amount. They'll give me that money. I send them a link to my measurement videos that they will follow the instructions for, including having someone else take their measurements for them, or I am not responsible for your piece not fitting. You will follow those instructions. And then people return it to me. And then I put it together and mail it to them. Or, you know, I get, well, after I get the rest of their money. So I am a very small designer, right? Like I'm doing every single piece one at a time. I am not using FedEx. I am using like the Canadian Postal Service to ship things out. So (laughs) I'm very much a small designer. It's why it's actually easier for me to subcontract. I like to make collections just for fun to express art and to just Mm -hmm. do art. But that is typically how you order something. I do not like when people come to me with another designer's piece and say, make this for me. If you want it Mm. custom, you contact them and you make them do it for you. If you are coming to me with a generic miniskirt and say, I want a miniskirt, that's fine. Miniskirts are miniskirts. If you're coming to me with something that is very clearly another designer's idea or work, go fuck yourself. Just go order from that designer. Don't try and undercut them by coming to someone. Yeah, that's so shitty. I Yeah, I, I really don't like that kind of thing. I understand that that being part, like latex is an expensive fetish. And honestly, the aesthetic and being part of the BDSM community, like you need to have a certain income. You need to have money to pay for the tickets and then money to pay for the outfits. And people are looking at what you're wearing. You know, like mm-hmm. it is, there's a, a financial barrier to entry in a lot of these spaces. And that I very much do recognize. And I also respect the work of other designers and creators and don't try and undercut them by getting quotes from other people. That's really gross. Yes, girl, preach. So, I mean, I there's been a few times where I got tricked, not tricked, but like I didn't realize right away that it was that they were asking me to knock something off. But, you know, they were just describing something. So, yeah. Um, but also every designer designs things slightly differently and their fit is going to be slightly different. Kind of like how you can't buy, you know, one person loves American Eagle jeans and another person loves free people jeans. Another person loves guest jeans because based off your body and their fit. So like, you know, designers have certain things that are theirs and order. If you like a designer's aesthetic, go with it. If you don't like my aesthetic, don't order from me because that's what I'm going to give you. <laughs> anyway, that's all. Sorry. That was just a, a personal uh, non sequitur rant. No, I mean, I asked the question. That's fair. Um, so Katie, if you wanted to order latex for me, we can talk. But if also, if someone wants to get into latex or is looking for something affordable to wear to a BDSM convention, I would check Etsy and I would ask designers if they have any sample sales because latex is very much something that people like to wear. But remember that when you go to these places, like these conventions and these fairs, there will be a vending room. So you will be able to pick something up or pick up accessories. The, the starter kit for BDSM people is black jeans and a fishneck shirt and a choker. You look like you're going to a rock concert. If you've got that, that's fine. Your outfit might not say wow, but you'll be let in. And that's really all you need. Okay, noted. Does that help? I, I have those. Yes, I have yeah. those things. Yeah, you'll be, that's, that's really, if you have a bigger budget and you want to invest, then like definitely try a latex piece. I'm a big fan of starting cheap because some people try on latex and they're like, oh my God, I hate this. And I'm like, that's why you don't go with a full cat suit for your first piece. I don't care. It is a sensory experience. I loved wearing latex this weekend, but the, the idea of a full body cat suit terrifies me. I know you mentioned claustrophobia. Getting it on is, I have videos that I can send you of me struggling, man. And it's very funny. And I'm I, there's a reason I don't put sleeves on my personal cat suits because I don't have the arm flexibility to get in and out by myself. And I want to be able to do that. But when it's on, you feel like a superhero and it doesn't feel super tight when it fits properly. Like if okay. it fits you and it's made for you and it will expand in all the right places, you will have full mobility of what you need. Once again, I don't like feeling like my arms are trapped. So I just don't put sleeves on anything for myself. Smart. When you go custom, you can do things like that. So we've talked a little bit about BDSM fairs, what you can wear to them, how you can get clothing from them for them in general. Also like guys Etsy, just in general. Also like, you know, those cheap websites online. I just love BDSM aesthetic. She in, I don't love fast fashion, but I love the price of fast fashion. And she in Mm. is some really cute chokers right now. Oh, damn it. I didn't need to know that. Sorry. I got a really cute fetishy looking one from there. But I believe last week we talked a bit about um, submissive men with dominant women. And today, why don't we talk a little bit more about the stereotype of submissive women with dominant men? I would love to. Uh, So as someone who is a switch, which means that I like to both dominate and be dominated, I struggled for a while with accepting the fact that I really wanted to be submissive because it feels very anti-feminist. Like, it isn't. I am going to say that full stop. It is not 
anti-feminist to want to be submissive in a BDSM or sexual setting. It, it's hard to say. Yeah, I just I want I want him to throw me around <laughs> like people aren't as comfortable with that idea. Well, because, you know, abusing women is wrong and you're beating this woman's butt up till it's purple. And it feels so good. <laughs> um, but with that being said, I think that um, there the the psychology behind it is very much around the idea that like women aren't supposed to want sex. Um, like we're not supposed to be the ones seeking out a sexual relationship or experience. And so by submitting to it, it removes that sense of I feel guilty for wanting this experience. I'm not saying that that's like fully every single person's motivations, but like that is definitely a component for some people. Well, okay. There's two things here that I would like to get into. The first is there are a lot of women out there where we are expected to do it all. There are a lot of women who are expected to have a job and come home and clean and take care of the kids and manage the household finances and keep everyone's social calendars in her head. And that's exhausting. And so for the same reason that men might want to relinquish some control, like women might, women also really enjoy not, not that not being in control as well and not having to be and not being expected to be. Mm -hmm. That being said, I do think we should talk a little bit about how men and women are socialized. I have met a lot more women who assume they're submissive and as they get older realize, no, they're actually dominant. Mm -hmm. And a lot more men who assume that they're dominant and then after they do a bit of exploration realize, oh no, they are the ones who want to be tied up. So Mm -hmm. how much of this goes into the socialization of of how men and women are socialized overall? Oh, I think a huge amount. And and that's that's part of why kink spaces exist is to explore what goes outside of the norms that you were raised with and that you were conditioned to feel and want and think. Um, You get to kind of flip that on its head and explore in a space that's safe to do that because it is a safe space for you to have your kink. Like, it's cool if you want someone to pee on you. Like, that's fine, man. Go for it. Just, you know, clean up and get consent. Yeah. I'd say do that one in the shower, maybe. Yeah, probably. Better, better idea. It's messy. Uh, yeah. Or Oasis Aqua Lounge sells a branded squirting blanket. Shout out. Uh, <laughs> what? I just oh, yes. bought one. What? If I had known that they that Oasis had its own, like literally just got delivered. I haven't even looked at it yet. Oh, they gave me one as a wedding gift. I w- it's like, honestly, like, like side note, um, squirting is a thing that is like not considered BDSM or fetishy, but like very much is like a niche thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How many people... How, how much do you encounter people see things like squirting or hardcore BDSM shit? They assume it should come standard in a relationship. And like, it doesn't, it shouldn't, nothing should come standard in a relationship True. other than communication and making sure that you're touching the correct body parts to help your partner orgasm. If that's what they want. In my opinion, if that's what they want. Yeah. If like, they want to orgasm. No one should assume that choking comes standard. No one should assume that in every relationship, there's a dom and a sub. Some people are neither. Some people just like to have sex. That's okay too. And not every woman wants to squirt or can squirt. It's kind of like, anyway, long story short, why should you get a squirting blanket if you're not a squirter? Because you can just throw it on top of the covers and then you don't have to worry about lube stains. It's, oh, it's amazing. It saves you on so much laundry. Yeah. Like I've been using towels for a very long time and like, that's like towels are perfectly effective. And this blanket covers your whole bed and is very absorbent. Yeah. I'm fucking stoked. It's going to be great. Yeah, I would also say that like when you are like sweating a lot, because when you are about to orgasm, your body automatically will start to sweat. Like Mm -hmm. it's not just that you're physically active and rubbing. It's like very much a physical response. You know, when the room smells like sex when you're done and you're like, this is not how I want this room to smell. Yeah. Um, Hi, mom. Especially when you live in a basement with no ventilation, which is where Alex and I have our bedroom. Like there have been times where we're just like, well, good thing we put this blanket down. Let's just go air it out. We'll just wash a blanket. And then it turns out that that smell is on is, the blanket. It's not it's in that. Yeah, it's been absorbed into your sheets. It's, you know, you put it in an air freshener and you're good to go. So if you're going to do anything that involves like anything hardcore or fluids that maybe have smells like, you know, anal, 
Uh, just throw down a squirting blanket. Yeah, I am so excited to, to give this a try. Welcome to the sex podcast where we have a sort of a theme, but you know. <laughs> but mostly we just talk about whatever the fuck we want to talk about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do think socialization plays a certain component or at least the socialization of people assuming that all women are secretly submissive or secretly mm. need someone to teach mm-hmm. them to be submissive. And one of my favorite doms in the city, who is the guy that I do Shibari and Wax play shoots with, uh, mm-hmm. that you guys, you guys might have seen on my Instagram. I don't know. He said something wonderful, which is his job as a dom is to help the sub do something they can't do by themselves. Mm, so he doesn't that. see this as him. Like, obviously, he has what he's into and he has what he likes and he wants to do those things as well. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to things like wax, which is very much hard to do. Right. Like wax play can be sexy, but like the kind of wax where you're putting on layers and layers and layers like that is not an easy thing. And in his mind, it's not about what he wants and how far he wants to go. It's Mm -hmm. about the submissive and giving them the experience that they can't get without him because you can't do wax on yourself easily. So many things that you that you've just said are just like resonating so hard for me. And like from from my experience talking to sex workers, um, that that is very much an aspect of that profession as well. Uh, the idea that you get to help create an experience that someone can't do for themselves because there are lots of sexual things that are really hard to do alone. Safely. Safely, yes. Like, there's a reason you don't do autoerotic asphyxiation alone. It's true. It's true. But yeah. Yeah. I know we talked about vac beds. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a, a person in Toronto who died doing solo play in a vac bed. They asphyxiated Ugh. to death. So there's a reason you don't do some of these things alone. That doesn't mean we don't do them. Everything mm-hmm. you do in life is a risk. Walking yeah. out your front door is a risk. You could get hit by a car. Riding in an airplane is a risk. We are all taking calculated risks. And just as you don't get into a car with someone who doesn't know how to drive, you don't do kink or BDSM. With someone that doesn't know what they're doing. Right. There's a lot of people who like to experiment together, and that's fair. But there's so much wonderful information that's accurate on the internet. And so many people who do know what they're doing that, you know, it's not like it used to be where you sort of just figured it out and did it yourself. You very much have all these resources where you can learn how to do it safely so you can get these needs met in a way that is making sure that you will be alive to tell the tale after and undamaged, both mentally and physically. I'm just snapping. I have no nothing to add to to that. That was great. (laughs) Yeah. I I feel like, well, I know. I know there's so much that we can talk about about BDSM in general. Like, we've talked a little bit about relationship dynamics. We've covered a little bit about, like, the aesthetics. We've covered a little bit just in terms of, like, safety. Mm -hmm. I guess my other question, I feel like there are people who listen who are like, yeah, this episode's boring. We know about BDSM. And then there's other people who are like, but why do people do BDSM? And we've talked about what about why someone might want to do the relationship dynamic. Why would someone want to be beaten up? Because it feels nice. I don't know. <laughs> right. I think there are some people who like they don't they don't uh, pain doesn't translate to pleasure for them. Like uh, tickling in one context is awful. I fucking hate tickling. Right. But when someone runs their fingers up your spine when you're turned on, it doesn't feel like a tickle. It feels mm, good. Truth. So yeah. BDSM, like no one wants to get punched in the face on the street by a stranger. I mean, I don't know if you want to get... I never want to get punched in the face ever. I say no, as someone I'm, who goes I'm to good. an MMA gym and gets punched in the face in sparring. But, like, I walk into punches. It's depressing. Well, and also there's a, like, you... Like, your pain tolerance is different. Like, what feels like just a spanking when it's, like, you know, kind of a little playful, maybe kind of sexual, but during just, like, your day-to-day sexual encounter... But then during a scene, which a scene is when you are engaging in any kind of like BDSM play together, the scene is the activities that you are doing together. Um, and like the, the the basic setup of a BDSM scene is you have a conversation about consent, talk about negotiation, which is like what you want to do, what your safe words are, et cetera, your scene. So the actual play and then aftercare, which is when you are taken care of after engaging in play. Anyway, so when you're in a scene, that same spanking, you're like harder. That didn't that didn't hurt like that didn't hurt at all. 
give me more. And the, and the hurt feels good in that, yeah. that setting. Like it hurts, but it's like a good, it's like you go for a deep tissue massage mm-hmm. and it feels like a good pain and you breathe through it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everyone understands that, I hope. Anyway. <laughs> or um, like using a foam roller. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Here's the thing. Um, did you mention pre-care? No, I talked about negotiation and consent. That's different from pre-care. Pre-care is also an important aspect. Like for wax, you need to know certain things. For for latex, you need to know certain things. Like oh, oh, got it. The first okay. time I did, yeah, the first time I did wax, uh, Craig was like, okay, you want to be hydrated. Moisturize the areas of your skin that are going to have wax touching it. Make sure that you feel. And now he and I know exactly what I need before he's going to literally cover me in wax. Like I know that I need to have a snack. I know that I need to submerge my feet in boiling hot water and then put really warm socks on and keep the socks on for the entire duration of the play. And we will only take them off at the end for the photo. Things like that. Like he and I will discuss in advance what are the things I need to do to prepare for the wax scene. Gotcha. Because he can't do them for me. It is his job as the person in charge who knows to make sure that this person understands the things that they should do their first time going into it that might make them feel better. If you're going to be in a space where you're going to be in a lot of pain, potentially, have a snack before you do it. Things like that. Yeah. My learning is all like, not book learning, but like formal training. So it makes sense that that kind of shit doesn't come up because they're trying to make the most like universal descriptor that they can, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like the, like the umbrella of, a, yeah. of, of play. But I... I like that. Yeah. Okay. So what are examples of aftercare for a sub or aftercare for a dom? For a dom being told by your sub that they feel good and safe and that they did a good job. Feels nice. And that you still like them. And you still like them. Yeah. Saying saying thank you is a and, and saying thank you goes both ways. It's it's a it's a nice thing to say to someone who has made themselves very vulnerable to participate in an activity with you. Sometimes physical contact, like like hugging, holding, et cetera. And that's something that you talk about when you are preparing for a scene is like what feels good for you. A snack. Right. Or does your, does your dog even do aftercare? Because some doms don't do aftercare, but they tell people in advance. Yeah. I would struggle with that for sure. Well, you would want to know that going into the scenario. Yeah, you would absolutely. Think, okay, then that's not the right dom for me. Mm-hmm. 100%. But like you mentioned before, snack, water. Yeah, I think uh, some people don't realize that doms need aftercare too, because obviously the person who was just in a in a moment of like extreme vulnerability and also their body was taken to certain limits, they're going to need a little bit of aftercare. But people forget that like the emotional labor that goes into creating and setting a scene is quite a lot. Yes. And it takes a lot of active preparation to prepare a scene and go into the scene. Mm-hmm. And you care deeply for the person who is submitting to you and you don't want to hurt them and you want to make sure that they have a good experience. And that level of responsibility is really scary and intimidating sometimes. Anything else we should cover about the basics of BDSM that we've missed? I'm trying to think because like, I feel like we've covered some. I know next week we're going to talk about everyone's favorite topic, which is consent and consent. BDSM. <laughs> I'm kidding. Honestly, consent episodes tend to get listened to the least because people think they've heard everything they need to hear, which is not true. It's not true. You're going to learn something, I promise. At least with BDSM and consent, it's actually very fascinating. But aside from that, I feel like we've talked about aftercare, pre-care scenes. I feel like you and I are a little all over the place today. It could be because, you know, we're both in our Hooters shirts. Yeah, we are. So we... (laughs) We're very distracted by the Hooters. By our our Hooters. Yeah, we say jiggling our boobies at each other. Hmm. Um, But I don't know. Is there anything else that you wanted to know going into BDSM that you didn't know? Like, I was a kid at 15... Who thought they were going to be a dominatrix when they grew up. And now I'm not. So I'm disappointing my 15-year-old self. I I would like, and, and I know that this is like a whole other topic that we can dig into really deeply. Um, but I would want to talk a little bit more about like gatekeeping and like what questions to ask and like how, how you even start getting involved. Because like I fell into kink because I thankfully had a partner who made me feel very safe and trusted. And so I was able to say, I want someone to beat me up in bed. (laughs) And they were like, cool, I like doing that. Let's go for it. People know from a very young age 
if they're interested in BDSM, people assume that there must be something wrong with you or that mm. you're mentally ill. And that's just not true. In fact, I was reading a very interesting study about how kids who are into BDSM, that gets developed when they're basically toddlers. So that parents who spank kids who are into BDSM are not only subjecting their kids to physical abuse, they're also subjecting their kids to sexual abuse, which is why we should maybe just not use spanking as a parenting tool. I... Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, I want to read that article. I'll try and find it. Um, or it was like some research going into it, but it was very fascinating. But I think it is very hard for people who know what they want. How do you say to a partner, I want you to tie me up, but I don't want you to do anything wrong? And, well, and I think that's where that's where the trust and communication comes in. Because, because you have to be able to create a space together where you feel safe to say, oh, that restraint kind of hurts. Can you try it a different way? Like, and for a lot of people that like that type of comment would totally break them out of their headspace in a scene and they wouldn't be mm -hmm. able to get back into it. And, and that is really intimidating and scary. And it's hard not to assume the worst and assume that that's going to be what happens. If you say, ouch, that hurts. Can you change how you're doing that? Okay. So that would be a red flag though. If you are in a scene and you say to someone, ouch, that hurts. I'm not, can we change this? And they say, no. That's not a dom. That's abuse. I'm not talking about saying no. I'm talking about like understanding that like the whole reason that safe words exist is so that there is a way for you to indicate to your partner without breaking character, essentially, that there is this something isn't working, that this isn't working. There's something wrong. And so negotiating how to communicate to your partner like this like, this is my limit, but it still feels good. So keep going. Or I like this position, but I just need to adjust this one thing. Like figuring out those types of, of pieces is like really complex. And it's, um, it very much is a negotiation because you're, you're figuring out together what works and what doesn't for you. Yeah. I think people also assume going into these scenarios that their fantasies are going to come true and it's going to oh, be yeah. perfect and flawless and nothing's going to go, you know, it's not going to be awkward at all. You're not going to have to fart or pee while you're completely tied up. You're not going to you have to have to help yeah. your dom find your vagina so that they can actually get it in you. Get yeah. whatever it is <laughs> that you're yeah. trying to put in. Yeah. Like, and, and that's, and, and that's the thing is like, sex is awkward. Not always. It doesn't, and like, it doesn't have to be uncomfortable, but like, let me, let me rephrase that. Sex is inherently playing with and uh, touching each other's parts. That inevitably is going to come with some moments of hilarity and discomfort and embarrassment, maybe sometimes. And it's about building a relationship that feels that all of those, there, there's space for all of those feelings without anybody walking away feeling guilty for having them. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. It's the same thing how you were talking about how jealousy is a feeling. And like, it's okay to have the, it's okay to feel a little bit awkward when you like grab the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. But what wouldn't be okay would be if your play partner made you feel bad about feeling awkward. Yeah. Or like every penis is different and they like a different grip. And if you grip one too hard and the guy makes you feel bad about it, that wouldn't be a good interaction. You would want like you would want them to correct you gently and nicely while also like, OK, fine, they go soft for a second. But then you try again and it's great. And it's like, oh, more like this. That's the same thing in a BDSM situation. Yep, absolutely. My first experience with learning about safe words was from Eurotrip where he goes to the German sex dungeon and they say, here's your safe word. And they give him this long word in German. And then he tries to call the safe word and they go, oh, and they pull out like a pegging machine, like a fuck machine. And, and so that was my first experience with safe words. And I think a lot of people still think safe words have to be something crazy like pineapple or peach. But a lot of people uh, just say, ow, stop. Yeah. Or I'm not into this anymore or scene is over. Or that you do hand signals. Hand signals. There's the green, yellow, red system. Mm -hmm. How are uh, the check-in? How are you doing? Green. Yellow means this is, you gotta, you know, you're reaching the edge. You might not, if you want me to last the whole session, you gotta scale back a little and come back up. Red is stop. Play is over right now. Mm -hmm. I just learned a new color from my coworker, which is beige, which means I'm bored. This isn't working for me. 
Oh, can we switch to I something different? Yeah, just like beige. Like, like this isn't working. Um, I'm not into this the way that that I think we're supposed to be into this. Can we try something different? That's and awesome. And then there's also even within that there's like the pain scale. Mm-hmm. So like, where are you at? And you know if your partner says so, you can say like, okay, zero is a zero and ten is a ten. Ten would mean stop right now. I might have to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. So you find out that your partner is comfortable at the five to seven level. You keep it there. And if it goes up to an eight or a nine, you know you got to scale it back. If mm-hmm. you know it's at a two or a three, you want to start out at the two or the three and then build slowly. Mm-hmm. If it's if you're doing something that involves pain. Well, and I also kind of on that note, I think that folks who are new to BDSM feel like they're doing it wrong if they're asking those types of questions. Like, like somehow you're supposed to be such a great dom that you don't have to ask your sub like if if the the grip that you or the I keep thinking of, of restraints being too tight because I recently had an experience with that. But like they think that saying is that too tight is like a- admitting I, I don't know what the feeling but is. But how are you supposed to know what they're physically feeling in their body unless mm-hmm. you ask? You can't yeah. read minds. You have to ask. All the good doms ask mm-hmm. and check in mm-hmm. and get verbal consent as you go. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't understand people who don't understand consent culture. I mean, obviously, I understand. I've just been so in it because of these communities for so long. I'm like, what do you mean asking for consent isn't sexy? I love when a person checks in and goes, does that feel okay? Mm-hmm. That's hot. Mm-hmm. I can be like, yeah, or I can be like, no, fix it. Yeah, I, yes. And, and, and I think about like, honestly, I, I think sometimes about like group sex experiences that I've had where like consent sometimes gets skipped over in group sex scenarios because there's an assumption that because everybody is there that they're all consenting to the same type of sex and it's like or not the same type of sex but the same type of like touching no no i i I got that my ooh was ooh that sounds terrible yeah and well it's but the the thing is is that it's it does sound terrible and also because we don't talk about all the different kinds of play in like normal mainstream society I had air quotes there, mainstream society, because we're not talking about all these different forms of play, those types of scenarios aren't talked about. The only type of consent that's discussed is the consent that a boy asks for before he touches a girl under her underwear or under her shirt. You're like, yeah, and that's not the end of the conversation. And we should be asked, everyone should be asking and giving consent. It's not a gendered conversation. Yeah. Boys, it shouldn't just be boys asking. Everyone should be asking and checking Mm -hmm. in. Like if you're in an orgy, you should ask before you grab someone's dick. Well, also, someone might be very comfortable having uh, women go down on them, but might not want to go down on women. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something to consider. You want to also be having conversations around, like, condoms and mm-hmm. fluid bonding mm-hmm. and switching condoms. between. There's so many conversations you would want to have in that kind of a setting mm-hmm. that, that you need to be having in advance. Mm-hmm. But even just simple things like, don't assume, like, anyone who's an experienced lifestyle person, whether it's BDSM or non-monogamy, knows that everyone likes to be touched differently. Mm -hmm. Some things are going to be the same. If you have a clitoris, you're probably going to want that touched, statistically (laughs) likely. If you have a penis, statistically, you're going to want to like that touch. If a guy has balls, some guys love having their balls sucked. Some guys like having their balls licked. If you suck some guy's balls, but he's a licky guy, he's going to be like, ah, like that's going to be his (laughs) response. You know, same thing with like, like pressure on a clitoris or mm-hmm. angle of fingers when you're mm-hmm. inside of someone or just roughness of how hard they want to be nibbled or bitten or mauled, you know, depending <laughs> on what they're looking for. Mauled. I'm going to start, I'm going to start using that. Maul I don't like, me. I don't like being beat up in the bedroom. I like being mauled. Yeah. Maul me, baby. You want it to be taken to the mall and bought some nice things <laughs> and then you want to be mauled in the bedroom. Yeah. Um, you just described I, me as a Taurus. I feel so seen right now. I'm here for you. Um, I I think that people, yeah, if someone's beginning with kink and BDSM, you don't want to assume what someone's role is based off their gender. Mm-hmm. You don't want to assume what they're into based off of what they're wearing because everyone wears chokers now. Where people want, want to be touched or how they like to be touched. That's exactly what I was going to say. You don't want to assume that just because someone has a dick that they want that dick touched. And... There's, there's, I mean, we've really just started with it, but I know that this is kind of like a surface level introduction to BDSM and there's so much more with it. We touched on a few different aspects of it. You know, there is, there is for some people humiliation. Oh, 
Okay. Mm. Here's a fun story. <laughs> you said that with so much sass in your face. I love it. Have you noticed... This I'm stealing this from Yael. Yael was like, have you noticed on TikTok? We're going to make a TikTok about soon. Have you noticed on TikTok that they're always, the doms on TikTok always say good girl. I don't want to be called good girl. That was, she was like outraged. She's like, I'm like, no, I don't want to be called good girl. Call me a dirty slut. Like, tell me that I'm a dirty, you know what I mean? And that, that, that thing, there's like that difference. Some girls want to be called good girl. You're a good sub, good girl. Ooh, mm-hmm. thank you, daddy dom. And then there's those of us who want to be called a dirty slut. And, you know, do you like that, you dirty slut? Yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. I'm a dirty slut. Give it to me harder. I'm saying it very dramatically and like, <laughs> say, I'm so dirty right now, you know? Yeah, but like, I need to show you this Polaroid that I took at my, at my shoot this weekend. I'm going to describe this for our listeners. Oh, is that a slut paddle? I fucking love those. It's a the slut paddle. The paddle that leaves the mark of slut on it. You look really cute there. Very nice. Very glam. Thank you. Very Barbie. Thank you. Thank you. Barbie bimbo that was the goal I just (laughs) like think that it's so fun you also can't assume someone wants to be called a dirty slut or a good girl you gotta ask in advance what oh what are what do you like for rewards and what do you like as punishments I recently learned that from a pro dom I should also Mm -hmm. add that that um don't assume that everyone who's in BDSM is a professional, mm. right? Don't assume that every dom you meet is a professional dom. Some people are just, it's a relationship dynamic and some people make money off that relationship dynamic and some people don't. Well, and, and I want to, going back to what do you like as rewards and punishments and like, don't assume everybody wants to be called a good girl. The number of men who have been like surprised when I've asked, like, what do you want me to call you? And they're like, what do you, what do you mean? Sir, and, like, daddy. Like, and I'm, I'm, I'm like in bed. Like what? Your like name? what do you? What do you want me to call you? Do you want me to call you your name? Oh, do you want me to call you Howard. sir? Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, if all the Howards out there listening. No, I um, like. I don't know. Like I don't know. I'd rather Mr. Stark than Howard. That's all I'm gonna say. If I was dating someone named Howard, <laughs> I'd be like, eh, we're not doing this. Yeah, but like, but that is not a like that shouldn't be a weird question to ask. And men are so surprised when I ask it. And I'm like, but do you just like not engage in dirty talk? Do you just accept whatever your partner calls you? Like, Mm. damn. When you're, when I love, if a guy's like, when I'm going to come, do you want me to tell you? Do you want me to tap you? What do you, you know what I mean? Like, is there like, do you want me to tell you? Or do you want me to just give it? Some guys will say like, I can't tell you. I'll just give a tap because they go Mm nonverbal, things like that. Like that's fascinating. Same with, with any sort of lifestyle thing like that, you really want to be having complex conversations around this. And if you can't manage those conversations, then you probably shouldn't be fucking. Well, everyone has to learn at some point, but I think you should be open-minded to, to learning about that. And I know you sort of also talked about gatekeeping. It's not like if you don't have these conversations, you're wrong. If you don't have these conversations, you could hurt someone. And that's more the issue. You don't want people to leave this interaction feeling bad. And you don't want to leave yeah. feeling bad. So we're doing everything we can to make sure that everyone leaves that experience, whether or not they were saying, no, please stop. While you're in the scene, you want them to leave that scene going, that was amazing. Thank you. I can't wait to do it again. Uh, well, and I, I do want to be clear. Like when I say, if you can't be having these conversations, you shouldn't be fucking. I'm specifically talking about like, conversations about fluids and uh, condoms and consent like like the the basics of safe sex oh if you can't handle the basics of safe sex you definitely shouldn't be trying bdsm that's one that i would say you gotta get good not get good at the basics you gotta be willing to learn and practice those basics on an ongoing basis Mm -hmm. if you're going to safely engage in bdsm on that note shall we take a quick break before we go to the listener question Okay, there's a story for this listener question. Sometimes I get DMs. Sometimes I get emails. Sometimes I get stopped by men on the street who say, you should talk about this on your podcast. So this is one of those. On the street? Oh, yeah. I get I get stopped on the street, even in COVID. Good thing we're all getting vaccinated. I made some new street friends. Uh, they're my favorite kinds. And so from the man on the street. Dear Deviants to Finding Elite, why don't you talk more about eating ass? And why are women so uncomfortable with it? From... Man on the street. I want to pick apart the question, why are women so uncomfortable with it? Is he saying, why are they uncomfortable giving or why are they uncomfortable receiving? Receiving. Because we've been taught that we're not allowed to have buttholes. Tell me more. We're not supposed to poop. We're not supposed to to 
to talk about shitting and farting and all of the things that happen around your butthole. So if you're not allowed to talk about like the basic function of it, why would you be allowed to talk about pleasure around it? That's I got nothing to add to that. <laughs> so so like the answer to why are women so uncomfortable with it? It's because society and also have you considered maybe asking your partner like it, why that's something that makes them uncomfortable to talk about? Like, I noticed that you get uncomfortable when I bring up butt stuff. Like, I don't want to keep bringing it up if it if it really bothers you. I would want, if I had a partner put their face there and there was a little bit of toilet paper, I would want them to just politely pick it off and just toss it to the side. Oh, don't tell, don't yeah, tell Yeah, just like do it. <laughs> Dude, I mean, honestly, like. Listen, we've all been there. You're going to be there one day. Let's just be adults about it. <laughs> yes. Um, I have an embarrassing story that I have only told to one other person. Great. Tell the tell the strangers on the internet. So I'm telling the strangers on the internet. Um, uh, by the end of this, I will tell you, Dave, whether you need to cut this. Um, so, <laughs> so sometimes when you are going to engage in butt play, there are certain preparations you do. Um, you don't have to if you don't want to. Like, that's fine. I only recently learned that you could do things to prepare for butt stuff. I refuse to. Um, Continue. Yeah, I, 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 I don't do it often. Um, but one of the things that I do is usually I'll put a plug in to make sure that like I'm raring to go for like when we get to the fun part. And I was very excited. And so I like scampered to the bathroom to take my plug out, <laughs> took the plug out, threw it in the sink, ran back into the bedroom. We did it. We fucked. It was great. Awesome time. He goes to go to the bathroom and there's a teeny tiny little turd on the floor. <laughs> and, and I'm with him because like we're going to shower and I just look and I'm like, oh my God. And he goes, it's all good, dude. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. He's like, it's butt stuff, man. There's gonna be like, shit. There's gonna be shit. <laughs> there's gonna be shit. And that's it. That's some women are aware that there is going to be shit. Doesn't matter if you douche or not. I also just don't believe that, like, I think that if you feel the need to douche, that, like, maybe just don't do it that night. Like, like if, you know, rid the method. Know what you ate, know when you're clean. But that's, that's all. Oh, yeah. Thing. So, why don't we talk, let's talk about eating ass. All right. I, I think eating ass is great. I love it. I like, I like giving, I like receiving. Well, I like giving as long as like hygiene is fine. Okay. What does butthole taste like as a whole to you? We've had this discussion at Oasis. Um, you have to pick a flavor palette. Sweet, sour, salty, savory. Um, sweet. You for sure. sweet? Yeah. Man on the street also said sweet. I pick sour. No. I de for me, definitely not sour. Well, do you um, like cilantro and what does kale taste like to you? Um, depends on the kind of kale. Dinosaur kale is disgusting. Oh, I love dinosaur kale. So there you go. We have different, it might be that we have tastings Except differently. Except we have different, I, we have different Yeah, tastes. I just, I just wanted to like figure that out first before. Yeah, no, I would, I say sweet. Interesting. So maybe that's, okay, well. Um, but also part of it is that like, quite honestly, it like, it tastes like skin. So like it tastes mm. like your saliva. Yeah, if it's like nice at a certain point, too. you're like, I'm just tasting myself here. It's not like, it's not like eating pussy where like. Well, like I've I've eaten asshole after the gym, and like we weren't we hadn't showered, and like honestly, like don't give me that face. It's fine. Sometimes you want to get no. I, sometimes I'm, you want those gym pheromones. Well, and, you know, and and like the the face was that I was gonna go bold, <laughs> and then I was like, <laughs> I mean, people have eaten my ass after the gym. Yeah, like. Clearly, it's not like whatever. That's just it's just the salty flavor palette. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I. Well, that's it. It's sweat. It's not like you're sweating on like a hot summer day. It's like clean sweat from like I think gym sweat to me comes off as very clean sweat. Interesting. See, to me, sweat after working out is kind of gnarly. Interesting. No, I like lots of pheromones. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it though. Which I, which lots like, of pheromones is, is hot. Yeah. But I, but I wouldn't like, I wouldn't call it clean sweat. Like it's definitely musky. But it's not like the salty sweat from a hot summer's day when you're dehydrated and you're sticky with it. Like when I. Oh, see, that doesn't bother me. Oh, I prefer gym sweat to hot summer day sweat. Interesting. Oh, so you don't like dinosaur kale. I like dinosaur kale. You prefer hot summer day sweat. I prefer gym sweat. And we both like to eat ass. So, and have it eaten. Yes. 
eat ass. It's 2021. Okay, so if you are going to eat ass and you haven't done it before, first of all, make sure your partner's cool with it because if they are having a bad ass day, they will tell you. They will be like, eh, not feeling it today. Not not the day. Um, you can do um, you can do the tongue swirl. You can do a little bit of the tongue mm-hmm. thrust. You can nibble mm-hmm. a little if you can. Maybe throw in a little like butt spank, the the vanilla kind, not the BDSM kind. <laughs> you know, yes. touch the 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 genital area while you're doing it. Mm-hmm. You can finger yep. a girl at the same time. You can stroke a, or you could finger someone with a vagina. I'm working on being more gender inclusive. Everyone, I'm still working on it. It's an active struggle. Thank you. We're for all working. With me, you can stroke a person with a penis at the same time while you do it. You can fondle a ball. You know, you can let the mm-hmm. area travel. Just remember, don't go from a bum to a vagina, dude. And here's the thing. I do not think that I I don't think that people who don't have vaginas understand that. Well, they have to learn it. Yeah. Yeah. Because the number of times that someone has has gone from eating my ass to eating me out. And I'm just like, bro, this is how I get BV. Knock that shit off. Yeah. Well, or a UTI and a yeast infection, lots of other terrible shit, too. Like, it's just very painful. Also, women wipe front to back. Not back to front. It's true. But here's the question, okay? Here's the thing I learned. You know how women don't poop? Too bad. We're going to ruin that today. Because if we're going to talk about eating ass, we're going to talk about poop. Apparently, some people some, some people will reach behind to wipe. All men will reach behind to wipe their ass. I know, myself included, I reach forward. It's not a pull. It's like a push. Oh, I always, I always reach backwards. So this is the big debate now that I ask all of my, my friends with vaginas, how do they wipe? And so this is the great debate. What's right? Front, you know, reaching forward or reaching back. Now we know. So I always I always reach from the back and I take care of that first. Okay. And by then I've usually drip dried. And so I just am like, I just have to do a little dab. Fascinating. So you use a lot of toilet paper is what I'm hearing. A reasonable amount. I also almost always use uh, baby wipes. Interesting. So you hate the environment. If I could have a if I could have a bidet, I would have a bidet. You can but get ones that install on top of your toilet. Which, by the way, yeah, but you have to have you have to have electricity. Oh, for it. okay. Well, I know friends with bidets that are like. Anyway, long story short, that's actually another way that you could prep for having your ass eaten is you can just get a bidet. Squirt. You don't need a full mm-hmm. douche. You can just squirt some water at it. Make sure it's nice and nice and you know moisturized and clean. That way, you don't need to worry about toilet paper bits and having them pick them off for you. That's honestly, it's such a fear. Yeah. Have you, uh, do you think we've sufficiently talked about eating ass for man on the street? I think so. All right. So on that note, thank you for listening. Join the Deviants Defining Elite by following Sex News with Ray on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can submit a listener question through sharewithray.com slash podcast, email sexnewswithray at gmail.com, or DM me or stop me on the street, apparently. But please wear a mask uh, uh, if you do so. We are still in a lockdown here. Well, no, we won't be by the time this comes out, hopefully, fingers crossed. Uh, follow me at WifeBayRay on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and Razor Latex on Instagram and OnlyFans. This podcast is engineered and produced by Dave Meisner and is hosted at sexnewswithray.podbean.com. The music is by Blank and Brilliant. Special thank you to Blue Microphones and photography for our logo is by Dolly Shots Photography.